0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Call Back Yesterday. My name's John Raby, and this is the podcast where we talk about somewhere in time and life and love and remembrance and parents and sadness and happiness and all that stuff. Uh, I, I usually hate talking about audio production in the audio production itself i've loved, i love talking about it with uh, people who mix but i really tend to like uh my stuff to just speak for itself so you get immersed but i'm doing something that's different enough in this podcast that i think it bears a little bit of explanation and and to set it up you know usually we do a thing at least during COVID times a thing called a, a phone sync And that means so you don't have to get together and record something. You record your thing in your studio or wherever you are uh, on a uh, flash recorder or whatever it is that you record it on. It's in reasonably high quality. And then you have other people that you're talking to record their thing where they are and you talk over the phone. That's why it's called a phone sync. Uh, And the sync is you take your audio file and you made it with their audio file and it sounds like... Uh, people are in person, and it's usually pretty good. Um, but for the for the interview today, uh, I I recorded myself in my studio, and I spoke with people over the phone, and they were on beautiful Mackinac Island, Michigan, in the middle of the island. And I really think that, uh, and, and and they're really the stars of this, and 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 their voice is probably like ninety percent of this interview, which is. Probably how it should be for interviews. Um, And I just didn't want to take you out of the island. So you're going to hear me talking over the phone. That's all I'm saying. You're going to hear me talking over the phone, and you're going to hear them in person being where they are, being who they are. And I just think it will give you a better sense of place and a better sense of these people. The people we're talking about that I'm going to be speaking with are old family friends, Kathy and Tom Lawand, who knew my folks Back in Detroit, Michigan, they stayed friends until my folks died in the 1990s. Uh, I hadn't talked with them since my parents died back in the 1990s, um, and, and it was really nice to reconnect. And they agreed to record themselves in the middle of Mackinac Island. And when I start the tape, you're going to find out why.
1: John and Kathy, welcome to Call Back Yesterday.
2: Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here.
1: Could you tell listeners uh, where you are right
2: now and what you are looking at? <laughs> well, we're in the Mackin Island Cemetery uh, over in a beautiful, sunny, uh, late September day, and we're at the, at the uh, site of your parents' grave, Bill and Ann Raby.
3: The gravestone is a flat granite piece, and it says, Bill and Ann, Ra- Ann Raby, in the years of their birth and their death, and then, do you want me to read the inscription oh, yeah. on the bottom? Yep. It, it says, life is a grave matter. <laughs> 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 you
1: know, you, um, you, were you there when they, they did the memorial service at the
3: grave? Yes. Yes. What did people think about that
2: saying, being on the grave? Do you remember? <laughs> Do you remember what you thought? There was a lot of
3: laughing. A lot of of conversation, a lot of, boy, isn't that perfect for Bill? And just like him.
2: Your dad (laughs) had a a phenomenal sense of humor. Yes. (laughs) Do you
1: think my mom wanted that?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Your mom always put up with whatever your dad did and with grace and humor. So I'm sure she didn't mind.
2: She had her own <laughs> sense of, of uh, very wonderful, warm, sarcastic humor. Yeah. And <laughs> dealing with your dad and other things in life. Dealing with my
1: dad. Um, <laughs> my husband and I were um, were on the island last October, and uh, we were we were stopping in the, the Grand Hotel store where they sell the cast-off Grand Hotel goods. And, and I forget the name of the woman who runs it, but she's a longtime Islander, and I told her who I was, and she said, just she just blurted out, she said, oh my God, your mom had to put up with a lot.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, and then she kind of apologized, but I said, no, 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 you do not need to apologize because that is exactly what he, you know, he would rush into her office, I'm sure, and commandeer the phone and the desk so that he could send a story out. And he wouldn't care if she was in the middle of a sale or, or you know, or anything.
3: No, no, you know, he, <laughs> he
2: commandeered whatever he needed. I remember once when Charles Corralt was from CBS was up doing a story on the uh, stone skipping contest, which of course was one of your dad's brilliant in- inventions. And he needed something for Charles Caralt to film. So he quickly found me, and I'm a lawyer, and Kathy's father was then alive and a close friend of your dad's. He was a judge on the Court of Appeals. And he said, all right, I need you on the front porch right now. Come right along. And we were sitting down by the pool having a lunch, I think. <laughs> Suddenly we were on the front porch, and Kathy's father was judging a courtroom battle between me and somebody else over whether you could use fake stones in the stone skipping contest. <laughs> it, was, it was all put together very hurriedly, but it made for great television because that's your father's brilliance.
1: In one year, the year they invented the drip-dry trouser, I think the sport jumped ahead by leaps and bounds.
2: Because then the skippers could get right out there in the water. And
1: their wives didn't get mad at them. You know, I sent you to a photo of my dad's address book, which must date from the late 40s or the very early 50s. And there is Joe B. Sullivan, yeah, Kathy's dad.
3: Yes, I saw the... F- and, f-
1: and Joe A. Sullivan.
3: <laughs> My uncle. Yes. <laughs> you want you want me to tell you how that happened? <laughs> yes, please. My mother and her brother, Joe A. Sullivan, were both students at the University of Detroit, um, a Jesuit school in, in Detroit. And they my my uncle was worked on the varsity news newspaper which is where i think your dad and my uncle and my my dad all met and they there was another fellow working at the at the paper named joe sullivan also and joseph andrew sullivan my uncle decided that he he might be a good prospect to, you know, arrange a date with his sister. So he, he set up his sister, Mary and my eventually to become father, Joseph Brian Sullivan. And of course the story, they fell in love and, uh, both longtime Detroiters and, uh, they stayed at U of D for a while, uh, till they graduated all of them. And, uh, worked on the Varsity News and the story goes that they used to write Joe A and Joe B became best friends and they used to write editorials in the Varsity News that would cause, whenever it caused a problem, they would sign the editorial Joseph C. Sullivan so that they wouldn't get into trouble. But for the rest of their lives, they were known as Joe A and Joe B and both both went on to be judges in the Wayne County Circuit Court, and then my dad went on to the Michigan Court of Appeals, and they were always called Joe A and Joe B. <laughs> did, you, uh, did you pay for that horse to, the horse carriage to go by at that point? Did you arrange that? <laughs> well, we're sitting on a carriage road, though you'll hear a lot of them actually coming by yeah, that's today.
1: Now, uh, could you describe where you, uh, you said you're in the cemetery. It's a beautiful place, so please please describe what it's like. And Matt, oh, and this is
2: late September. The leaves started changing? Not not, not yet. Not
3: quite yet. You know, there's, there's a well, little that one over tiny, there's tiny bit of color. A little bit. Yep,
2: just a but little it's bit. very little. It, it's an absolutely gorgeous uh, cemetery. It's rolling down from the main road where there's a, a stone wall that goes back 150 years. No, maybe more than that. Yeah. And uh, A lot of the graves here date from uh, the 1800s. Uh, the... Um, Uh, We're on the other side of the cemetery, lots of of wonderful trees, and um, we were at a funeral here recently for one of the island firemen and council members. It was very moving because it was during the COVID time, and uh, everyone socially distanced. Uh, There are probably 150 people here scattered all over this beautiful cemetery for a very moving service.
3: And of course, when you're buried on Mackinac Island, because no cars are allowed, you're mode of transportation is an old-fashioned uh, horse-drawn hearse, and it's it's the most moving sight I can imagine. One time we were on the island, and it was G. Menon Williams, who was a former governor of Michigan, was being buried that day here in the cemetery, and um, his casket was being moved from the ferry boat where it had arrived up to the cemetery in that hearse and as people it went down the main street of Mackinac Island which of course is this great tourist destination very crowded and everybody paused men took off their hats women waved and tears came it's just it's a it's an absolutely moving moving experience to see that
2: so. so your parents have a wonderful resting spot here. Yeah. There's a beautiful tree kind of overshadowing their grave. A lilac, a lilac, lilac tree. tree. Um, and uh, the, the, you can still see the, the dead lilac um, blooms from this year on it. Lilacs bloom, as you know, late here in, in June. Uh, but uh, it's just a gorgeous spot. And, uh, and you know, and you know Tom,
1: uh, Tom and Kathy, you're not the only friend who is there. Uh, Dave
2: Lojack is, is, is uh, <laughs> yes. parked right next to
3: them. Right. right.
2: With a very similar headstone. I noted that. I, I had forgotten that, but I noted that when we came in.
3: Dave. Right. And next to Dave is Duke Charns. I don't know if you ever knew Duke, no. but he was a great uh-huh. teamster, driver of horses. And on uh-huh. his gravestone, it says teamster and councilman, husband and father. And then there's a picture of him driving his team of horses. <laughs>
2: He was an island fixture. Yeah. So this is a very... um,
3: That's a special spot. special
2: little spot here in in this corner of the cemetery.
3: And there's a low wall leading away from the grave, and then a little wrought iron, very French-influenced wrought iron fence around
1: um, And there's probably a plastic cup thrown out of the window of the Mike Pence motorcade somewhere
3: (laughs) in the bushes. Yeah. Or a beer can. Could be, yep. Some Coors. Um, Kathy, I didn't know
1: until you told me on the phone just the other day, or I didn't remember, that you worked in my dad's PR office at the University of Detroit. What, what years was that?
3: Must have been like about 65, 66, and 67, maybe? You,
2: you quit when uh, you were pregnant when with Tommy. Tommy was born. which was 19, He was born in
3: 69. Oh, right. Yeah. So it so, must have been 60, 67, 68, and 69, probably. So you missed the Beatles. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, we saw Bobby Kennedy there.
0: Hey, it's John Raby back in the studio. See, I told you so. You're there with Tom and Kathy, just kind of listening to me talking over the phone from Los Angeles, and it doesn't matter as much. It, it, I think it feels a lot better just being on the island. Now, Kathy mentioned working for my dad. In the mid to late 1960s at the University of Detroit and seeing some of the people who came through. And I have a wall of tape recordings of all the people who came to Detroit in the 50s and 60s when my dad was doing public relations for the University of Detroit. Uh, The Beatles, Carlos Montoya, a lot of soupy sales, Baron von Stauffenberg's son, Robert Frost. I hope in future episodes you're going to hear some of these tapes. And, yes, I've got tape of Robert Kennedy's appearance in Detroit in 1966. I'm going to play you some of it now. And this is probably the first time this tape has ever been heard since
4: 1966. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Selby Williams, distinguished members of Congress, ladies and gentlemen, I'm delighted to be here. I, most of these trips is one travels around the country, one stands on one's feet and says something nice about somebody else, and usually it's so rushed nobody can say anything nice about me. So uh, <laughs> I like that. Uh, this one, I just wanted to say it was one of the highlights of my visit as I just sat there, and I thought it was going to go on for 10 or 15 minutes, and I just want to thank all of you. One of the major reasons that I wanted to come to Michigan, it had been scheduled at an earlier date, but one of the major reasons I wanted to come to Michigan uh, was because of my high regard for Men and Williams. I knew of uh, his record as governor of this state, and I think that uh, perhaps now in 1966, that perhaps it's possible that people forget that, forget that really uh, what he did in this state, not just what he accomplished for the people of the state of Michigan, but really the fact that he was a forerunner of many of the social and progressive measures that were accepted in other states at later dates and accepted even by the federal government. And nobody contributed really more than more, nobody contributed more to the far-thinking, far-sighted thinking, than Soapy Williams did.
2: We were there right after your father came up with the idea of the uh, silent records. Uh, U of D, if, if I recall right, this was a little before our time there, but they had gotten rid of, of um, college football and it was great consternation. And he needed something to keep University of Detroit relevant. He was the PR director. And so he came up with the idea of jukeboxes, of course, were huge back then. Every place had a jukebox. And it could drive you crazy going into a coffee shop or a bar if you didn't like the style of music. So your dad came up with the idea of uh, silent records sponsored by the University of Detroit. And the silent records came in all different types. You could buy a classical silent record or a jazz or a country music, whatever it might be.
3: And, or the Beatles, or I'm Or the sure. Beatles, yeah. and
2: put your money in. But it became uh, known around, I think, around the country yeah. uh, as emanating from the University of Detroit, silent records. Yeah. Let's, let's pause for a moment and listen to one of them. There. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. Still the same. They don't make Beatles. music like that anymore. Now, Mary going to be an 8-year-old
3: girl, What's he saying? Can you hear it? Right. Yeah, he's talking about the earliest grave in the cemetery is of a little girl uh, whose name was Mary Biddle. And she died when she was eight years old, and she was the first person buried in this cemetery in very early, I think, 1800s, maybe.
2: Sorry about the noise in the background. Uh, there are, as you know, almost no motorized vehicles on the island. There, there was a there's a street cleaning machine, drawn by two horses. One, yes, two horses. Two
3: white horses.
2: But, but the street cleaning machine cleans up, of course, all the manure, but it's drawn <laughs> by two horses. But it's motorized, the the actual cleaning apparatus, and it's a little noisy. So, apologies for that. Yes. Uh, it's like there's a, there's a law now in Los Angeles that whenever
1: you do an interview with somebody when they're at home because of the COVID, uh, the, the
3: groundskeepers have to be in the yard making noise with leaf blowers. Oh, yeah, right. right. <laughs> they
2: just went ahead and made it a law because
3: it was, it was necessary. So,
1: so you have described, and it's very easy to do, we've fallen into it. We've been talking about my dad, my dad, my dad, my dad, um, and... and since he passed, and my mother died in '91, my dad died in '92. There's tons of my dad on tape. There's tons of stuff that he did, but but I'm having a hard time remembering my mom. I know that sounds weird, but I, I have a hard time remembering her voice. There are no recordings. There's no video because it was '91. Um, can, Kathy, can you and Tom too? Can you give me some sense of what my mom was like?
3: Your mom was a wonderful woman. I just as I was dry, riding out here, I was thinking about her and my mother who were really good friends. And, but I always think of them as laughing. Um,
2: yes, they were always they laughing. Were always they were always laughing. Always laughing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> they, your mom had all, you know, all these children around and she never seemed to be, and of course your dad, and she never seemed to be overwhelmed which always amazed me.
2: I remember uh, one of my favorite stories about your mom was the year or, or several years you guys lived way on the backside of Mackin Island. As you know, it's only eight miles around, but way on the backside is quite a ways on a bicycle at midnight, and back then we had millions of bats flying everywhere.
3: Yeah, before the white nose fungus got them all. But.
2: but we had tons of bats, and uh, your mother... Uh, of course didn't like bats at all but your dad got a, a chance to live out there and I, I think it was a pretty good rent or maybe cheap free rent and so that's where they lived and so your mother was not thrilled about it but she didn't complain but she would, she got an old banana box from Dowd's Market uh, which was a banana crate of, of wood which she'd put on her head and wears a hat when she'd ride her bike home <laughs> at night so the bats wouldn't get her <laughs> And she, just, she just calmly said, well, I got my hat, here we go, yep. and off she'd go at night.
3: <laughs> and I remember that place, oh my God, that you lived in, Silver Birches, was a, just a disaster.
2: In a, fact, I remember a little guy named John that used to run along when we would be there right? visiting and, <laughs> and, and hit all the shutters so the bats would fly out during the day. <laughs> <laughs>
3: and I remember your mom boiling diapers. Because I don't know whether there wasn't a good washer and dryer there Probably wasn't And so she yeah. had to boil them on the stove Right, that would have been diapers
1: for me Because I would have been three And my brother James, who was like a year and a half younger than Well, he still is a, a year and a half <laughs> younger than I am So we were Yeah, they did, there was running water there It was an old casino It was on the other side of the island on purpose It was built as a lodge I believe, so that there could be gambling and whores.
3: Exactly. Yes. Oh, yes.
1: And one of the draws was that, for, for a family of eight, was that there were all these little rooms, so each
3: kid could have his own room.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, a big, I, I, it was a big draw for the Grand Hotel during the uh, tough years of the Depression because they would get the wealthy people to come up so they could go to the backside of the island and spend a night or two out there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and gamble
2: and have and have uh, booze too
0: have, yes. gamble have
2: booze right. and and, uh, prostitutes. And, uh, uh, and prostitutes and prostitutes my, my nephew uh, Jim
1: who is now like past 40 uh, Jones Jones child he's now uh, 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 actually a suicide prevention counselor in Portland Oregon um, so very successful happily married and like that but back in the day back in the early 2000s he was working for Goodwill in I think Queens I don't know how that happened, but he was oh, yeah. in Queens. And the, and the only place he could find a stay was in Chinatown. Uh, and it was the, the second floor of the former whorehouse
2: <laughs> that, had, that had,
1: been, had been converted into like a, 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 you know, commuter kind of apartments. People would come during the week and just sleep in all of these rooms that were four feet wide by ten feet long. Uh, he didn't even know that it was connected to Silver Virges. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And my, my mom was also not bossy, and I think, you, Kathy, you told me a great story about when when she helped you with, would it have been Tommy or Kevin
3: or... Oh, yeah. when we Tommy was brand new. A couple months old, we were here staying with my parents, and he was very colicky at that time, and uh, she just came along one day and took a needle and made the hole in the, sterilized it and made the hole in the nipple much bigger and mixed up a little cereal and put it in the bottle. And, uh, he, it, it helped him so much. And she never said any, you know, do it this way. It was just very gentle. She said, here, I think I can help. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> she certainly had the knowledge behind her to do that. And, uh, it worked out great. She saved me a lot of nights of sleepless nights. Of pacing back and forth with a crying baby.
1: Right. And she wouldn't have been, I knew when you started telling me that story that she wouldn't uh, have been bossy. She wouldn't have been, oh, Kathy, you're an idiot. (laughs) You know, I know best. She would have just kind of showed you and helped you and, and been very cool about it.
3: She was a dear, dear lady. Very sweet, very kind, very thoughtful and funny.
2: We spent a fair amount of time. Fun to be with. We spent a fair amount of time. there at our house or uh, because of my in-laws, of course, being old friends of theirs, but they knew both Kathy and me uh, separately. And uh, I have never once saw your mother upset uh, or angry or um, frustrated at all. She was always mm-hmm. a great, great uh, frame of mind, which I think were, was helpful given everything <laughs> she had to, to juggle <laughs> and manage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you, guys, do you guys
3: remember the summer of 1979
2: on Mackinac? I don't know how much you were
3: there. Um, 1979. 79. What happened in 79? When they were filming the movie on Mackinac. Oh, oh somewhere, somewhere in, in time. time.
2: Yeah, so we sure do. We, we still have one of their bikes from that year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We That no. was the year we had just bought our house a year earlier in 78. And uh, so we were here and it was a big... Big excitement on the island because several of our neighbors had uh, significant roles in it. Uh, yeah,
3: Jimmy Dunigan.
2: Jimmy Dunnigan was the Irish ambassador.
3: Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and I missed my golden opportunity. I was supposed to be a Gibson girl, but it rained that day, and I wasn't going to go down on my bike to show up with my hair soaking wet and sit all day. <laughs> so, how, did, how did the how did the island um, take
2: to the people from Hollywood you know as I recall it was they, they just kind of fit in they all rode bikes yeah no, and nobody up here really pays much atten- attention to pretense um you know maybe very few people do and so it was kind of like yeah they went to the Mustang bar like everybody else and the Mustang bar just serves a hamburger and Bud Light uh if you want to Splurge, you might get uh, PB, Pabst Blue Ribbon Light by back then. <laughs> but that was about it. And uh, they went there. Uh, back then, there were not a whole lot of fancy restaurant options. And the Grand Hotel was still pretty... Um, it had not been fixed up, I don't think, in... Uh, it might have been by the 70s. But. Yeah. yeah, the, rede- the redecoration had happened already by Carl and Barney. Oh, I had it? Okay. Well, that's right, it c- because it was in the movie. Oh,
3: so, sure, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because they converted the dining room every night. Yeah. Uh, day and night. But I I think that
1: Mackinac worked its magic on the cast and crew.
3: Well, it's interesting that over the years they've you know, a few quite a few of them have come back for that yeah. Somewhere in Time weekend. And even Jane Seymour and Christopher Reeve at one point I think came back. Yep.
1: I think what what happened is the uh, you know, the the, the movie got such a public drubbing. <laughs> but, but but they knew that they made something special and it was reinforced by all of the thousands of fans who really love it and who don't care what the critics said. And so every, and everybody kind of comes back and celebrates that they made this good thing that really... And, and I think the movie inspires a lot of people. It helps a lot of people. It makes them happy. And I think that in Hollywood, that's not often the case, you know? there, there was It was a really happy... Filming a really happy shoot, I think, and that's rare. And then you've got all this appreciation for work that they did 20, 30, 40 years ago as the years went on but that just makes people happy. So I, I think it was, it's kind of golden for everybody who was involved with the picture. So, sure, Jane Seymour's been back like three times. Well, you know, they
3: everybody still watches it, you know, they still show it at the Grand Hotel, and we have a an old DVD of it, maybe. And, right, uh, we do. everybody gathers around and
2: <laughs> the grandkids will take it out every right. year or two and watch it and crowd around as though they'd never seen it before. It's just a moving, <laughs> moving, wonderful movie. Yeah. Hey, look, there's
4: John Hewlett with hair and a mustache. Oh
2: yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, that's right. So, right.
1: Um, so, uh, you know, we're talking, we're, we're, we're calling back yesterday in our conversation here. We're remembering the past. Um, and you guys have kind of shifted in the, the hierarchy now of, of uh, the, you know, the circle of our of our people. Because, Kathy, your mom just passed away uh, this summer. She was 94?
3: 96, yep. 96. Um, and she was the last of that generation. They're all gone now. All their friends and uh, the greatest generation, um, you know. But uh, yeah, so it's, and as my father said, we're, used to say often, we're inching slowly forward in the queue. And uh, we are. There's no real answer. <laughs> I guess. Is it weird? Yeah, very weird. weird. <laughs> 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 yes. Uh, yes, indeed.
2: Uh, yeah. Yep. I, uh, I, just, I didn't want to interrupt you. Wait, no, that's, that's right, right especially now that our, our, our older grandkids are. Well the oldest one is just out of college and uh, we have two in college and it won't be long before we might be great grandparents uh, hopefully not for another few years yet but
1: it's hilarious when i knew you you
2: were
1: old but now <laughs> now that i'm 54 you're not old
2: <laughs> that's right we were probably 54 when you first met us no well no, no. if you're 54 oh no 20 years let's see oh. i'm 74 yeah, you were like yeah. Yeah. So, like thirty or, yeah. or twenty or something. I that's just a,
3: thought
2: you were ancient. Yeah, yeah that's right. right. Well we you, were. Are, you are you are you <laughs> were twenty years you're you exactly twenty years younger than I am. I'm seventy four. I won't say how old Kathy is. She's a lot younger than I am. <laughs> right. Particularly when bride. she talks about her kids, she claims she was a child bride and that the first was born when she was twelve or thirteen. <laughs> so
1: Let's let them pass by. Are they talking about Mary Ann Biddle again, or Mary Biddle?
3: Yes, this is the stop for Mary Biddle.
1: <laughs> One of the while well, we're, I have a, I have a more serious question. But oh, are they done? Or are they stopping?
3: No, they're moving on.
1: Okay. Um, what was my serious question here? Oh yeah. Um, you know, talking about your mom, talking about my folks who have passed, who passed on so incredibly early. Um, we were at Grand Hotel. My husband and I last October, they were, they were shutting down the hotel. the Somewhere in time weekend was ending. All the furniture was in the lobby draped with sheets. They're bringing in all the flowers. And I was walking on the, the front porch thinking about all that. Uh, it was a crisp fall day. The you know it had just been made known that the grand hotel, uh was sold to an investment group so we didn't know what the future of the hotel was going to be um just like everybody you know there was this huge upheaval in my past and i was and i was thinking back to all the parties that my folks threw at grand hotel at the end of the season and i'm not especially a woo-woo kind of person but i was almost seeing ghosts
2: at that point (laughs) i wouldn't doubt it
3: yes there were a lot of uh a lot of interesting people and a lot of famous people, a lot of celebrities had passed across that front porch and a lot of ordinary people who were wonderful.
2: Well, and, and uh, your dad, uh, part of his job was to make sure they were well taken care of. <laughs> I remember when the uh, brand new governor, Jim Blanchard, uh, in, the, in 83, uh, he was literally in his first, the first time he came to the island, it was a month after he had marched in the Holland Tulip Festival.
3: Oh, no, not even a month. It was well, like a week. Really. So, yeah.
2: and, and uh, someone in the Tulip Festival had run out and thrown a bucket of water on him, I guess.
3: Well, on his, and, it had splashed up on him. They, they were parodying cleaning the streets in Holland, you know. And it was an accident, but he got very wet.
2: So, we were sitting down to dinner with your dad and mother and the governor and his wife and Kathy and me. And um, the waiter was quite nervous because here was a brand new governor who was very young. And and the waiter had a full tray of drinks. We would ordered drinks and leaned over to serve the governor his drink and the whole tray spilled on the governor, on the table, all over the governor, sopping wet. The rest of us were fine. And there was a photographer, of course, over not far away, snapping pictures. I've never seen anyone move faster than your father. And grabbing that photographer and walking him back to the table with the film. Back then, of course, <laughs> there was something called film in the cameras. And he brought the film back and said, here, we won't have to worry about that story.
3: Because <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want another story of Blanchard getting soaked by a...
2: I I am sure, knowing your dad, that he got the film back by offering the guy drinks or something like that. I'm (laughs) sure it was no physical violence involved, but he he got the job done. He was a big man. He he was. He was
3: a big man, but he He was was. a gentle.
2: But the other favorite story about your dad, in my mind, uh, was um, a year later, uh, or maybe later on that same year, I had been the governor's chief of staff and campaign manager, but he and I had a disagreement and I got fired. And I thought life was over. I had a young family, and I was pretty down, and I came up to the Mackinac.
3: Well, and of course, it was a front page above the fold story. Big story,
2: big story. And uh, your father was waiting for the boat with you, maybe, because you were here. Anyhow, he said, you know, life's going to go on. You're going to be just fine. We're going to the Grand Hotel for dinner tonight. Get your suit and tie on and be prepared for success. (laughs) (laughs) I seem to remember that, and I don't remember, I don't know if I remember it as something that happened to me or if I remember it as a story. Oh. Well, it would have been in 1983, summer of 83. Yeah. And of course, yes. uh, I st- it actually wasn't long before Blanchard was hiring me to do all sorts of things, and I became chairman of the Democratic Party. And your dad was exactly right, but boy, he had the right pick me up that day. <laughs>
1: yeah. So,
2: yeah that's nice. Very kind and thoughtful.
1: I th- we're almost done but I need you to tell me the story that has absolutely nothing to do with my parents, just as Mackinac geography, uh, the weirdness of, of sound waves. Uh, tell, us the, tell us the story when you save somebody's life.
3: Oh, <laughs> oh that old story. Yeah
1: right. I guess and I guess I could do the setting just very quickly. You guys live on what's called the East Bluff. Uh, Mackinac Island is a limestone outcropping, a, a, a limestone mountain in Lake Huron. And there are two big bluffs that overlook the water, East Bluff and West Bluff. You guys live on the East Bluff uh, in that house that you just bought, and uh, which had weird paint on the walls I think called calamine? Calamine. Yep. Right,
4: that was oh, impossible God, to get yes. off because
1: it kept dissolving. Anyway, that's not very interesting. I just wanted to show you that my memory's great from fifty
2: years
1: ago. Um, uh, uh, so anyway, that's the that's the setting. You you are probably
3: I don't know you're five hundred feet above the water. Uh, yeah, I think it's actually maybe six hundred feet above water. But yeah, take but, it from there. Yes, and down below us um, is a large hotel called Mission Point Resort, and with a expansive lawn. And in the evenings, people sit out on the lawn in um Adirondack chairs and it's a be- just you know by the water it's a beautiful setting and frequently there are parties down there on the lawn and so this one evening we had had company over on our front porch and um they had left and um I don't know oh Tom was Tom was sailing in the port here in a Mackinac race
2: no, I was down <laughs> I was down below working because I'll were, tell well, you that little footnote on the story in a minute. But
3: anyway, but. so Tom wasn't there, it was just myself and Christy and Carrie. And I guess they were maybe nine and eleven and um we were cleaning up and we heard this man's voice yelling, Help, help, I can't swim. I can't swim. And he sounded like he really meant it. <laughs> it didn't sound like a prank and it went on for a little while and we ran down to the, the road above the bluff and there's a fence there and we looked down, but by this time it was dark and we could still hear this voice, but it became apparent that the sound was carrying up the bluff and we could hear it, but the people who were down below on the shore at Mission Point, couldn't hear it they were just continuing doing whatever they were doing and of course this is the days before cell phones everybody had landlines I called the police department and I said I think there's someone in the water I hear a man screaming help I can't swim and we have there's a large buoy out in front of our house called buoy number two and uh, I said I think he's it has a red light on it, and uh, you can it and a bell, and you can hear it. And I said, I think he's somewhere near buoy number two. Well, that's the entrance to the freighter channel. And uh, so they sent the, the woman on the other end of the phone at the police department, said, um, I stay on the phone, and I'll send the police boat out to see if we can find him. Well, the police boat... Turned out to be somebody's fifteen-foot runabout fishing boat with a little motor on the back, and I could see that because the policeman who was in that boat had a had a flashlight. There were no lights on the boat, but I could see his flashlight. Um, but I'm of course stuck in the house because I have it's a landline phone and I can only go so far. So the girls are down by the fence across the road. And they're yelling to me, giving me directions to guide the light on the fishing boat closer to where they think they hear the voice coming from. And I'm relaying that information to the dispatcher who's relaying it to the policeman in the boat who has a police radio. And believe it or not, we actually did find the man. He had had actually stolen a canoe he 'd gotten drunk he 'd stolen a canoe, and the canoe had swamped, but the current through that straits of Mackinac is incredibly strong, and if we hadn 't been able to find him, he would have been swept right out to the middle of the of lake huron and uh, you know that would have been the end of him as it was they took him to the medical center where they treated him for hypothermia and then they put him in jail (laughs) so I don't know that he was really all that grateful to us but
2: he never sent you a thank you note no (laughs) (laughs) so the footnote is that I was in Detroit working I called just to check in and Kathy answered the phone and she said I can't talk now. I'm saving a man's life click (laughs) <laughs> and I'm in Detroit thinking, okay, what is going on up there? But I, I later learned the full story. <laughs> I'm asking this of everybody because this is
1: ostensibly a, a, a podcast about somewhere in time. Do you guys, uh, do you believe in time travel to any extent?
3: Time travel.
1: Or do you, do you no.
3: wish you could time travel? <laughs> if that's easier. Do I wish I could time travel? I think I'm pretty happy
2: where I am. Yeah, I, I'm enjoying, the, well, not, not 2020, but no. I'm enjoying the, the rest of like the time we're in. I'd like that to be we're over in. with. But uh, yeah, we're, I, I think I'm pretty happy with the time we're in. And I love reading the history, and it would be fun to see what the future is. Uh, I don't know that I have any particular desire to go back in time, although there's some interesting things that happened. So I guess I've never really thought about it, but um. well,
3: living on Mackinac Island too, we're very close to history. You see it every day, and and kind of participate in the history that's made this island um, from the time of the Native Americans. You see the, you see, and you admire and you love the you know, Sugarloaf and uh, Arch Rock and the formations that the Native Americans thought were the home of the Great Spirits. And then you live with the fort um, in the backyard, practically. And and we're sitting here at the cemetery, and across the road is the fort cemetery where the soldiers who served at the fort were all buried. So history is very... um, ubiquitous and very present all the time, I think.
2: I guess you feel kind of a part of history that yeah.
3: you're
2: living here and therefore happy with where we are and knowing that there'll be a lot going on after we leave, but it's all part of the same wonderful sweep of human history. You guys are good. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had forgotten until
1: midway through this that um, Kathy was a, you know, Kathy was a, uh, a docent Tying things together for people, helping them see stuff.
3: Uh, well, I was also the very first woman appointed to the Mackinac Island State Park Commission. I had the very first woman chair of the Mackinac Island State Park Commission. So I have a lot of uh, a lot of love for the for the history that's here. This is this has
1: really been fantastic. I, I agree. Appreciate- such a weird
2: idea that you didn't want to do it. Oh, All right, well, what? thank you so much for asking us. We've enjoyed yes. it. it was great talking <laughs> to you, and we'll look forward to, to seeing you and your husband next time you're up here.
0: Big thanks to Kathy and Tom LeWan for taking the time to record themselves up in the middle of Mackinac Island. Not hard duty, but I really appreciate that they took the time to do it. Call back yesterday is produced, written, recorded, and directed by me, John Raby. Our theme music is performed by The Van Dyke Parks and our logo was made by Michael Ulenkot. Additional support from Bermudez Projects in Los Angeles. Join me soon for the next episode of Call Back Yesterday and thanks for listening.
3: St. Ann Cemetery, October 5th, 2.38 p.m.